Welcome to another episode of the Future Founder Promise podcast. My name is Max. I am one of the co-founders of Stellate and I am here with Tim, who you met in the other episode. And what we want to talk about today is the fact that our company is no longer called Graphsidian, like my sweater still says, but is called Stellate. We announced this recently and we wanted to take you a little bit on our journey of why we decided to rename the company and how we actually went down that path. Tim, where did all of this start? Why did we decide to rename the company almost a year into, into founding it? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. So about, uh, actually, I remember, I think it was in uh, February already last year, it's like over a year ago, when one of our pre-seed investors, actually, Max Clausen, he was mentioning, guys, what you're doing with the edge caching, that's great, but you need to, you've got to have a bigger vision. And we were always like, yeah, we will, we will figure it out. There will be some things we will do. And um, we also intentionally decided the last year to focus on it because it's like caching is still one of the hardest problems in computer science and building a good product around it isn't easy. So we spent a lot of time on refining that and had uh, like incredible growth in the meantime. And now like a lot of companies using it, thousands of, of, of projects. But then we realized that so many of our customers have been asking for more features around it. So being in this proxy um, position uh, between like a, a GraphQL API and the, the internet is, is quite a powerful position to be in. And for example, you can add like abuse protection in a certain sense. So GraphQL is a new tool and a new tool is a new solution. What is it actually trying to solve? It wants to uh, simplify data access and makes it, makes it actually approachable. There have been many uh, approaches before GraphQL uh, in, in, in the graph world, but also in the API world. There are so many protocols out there, Thrift, GRPC, Protobuf, but also OData and so many other protocols that also try to yeah, make this easy. But GraphQL really struck a good balance because GraphQL said no to a lot of fancy features that might have been nice. And that way it could actually be adopted in different languages. If you look at a GraphQL server implementation, it's actually not that little. Like you have tens of thousands of lines, for example, in GraphQL.js or in the other languages, just to have a like spec compliant server. And if you add more stuff, it will just get more complicated, right? So GraphQL is really this new technology, still new uh, for, for many companies that, um, that enables new, new things here. Yeah, and new, such a new solution needs, uh, creates new problems and also needs new tooling to it. And so, if you, for example, look at uh, rate limiting, rate limiting is something most uh, APIs, when they're in the REST world, most APIs these days, if they're like high scale production, they will have it. It's usually based on a request count and then just uh, like an IP limit or something. You say this certain IP is only allowed to do 100 requests per second or something like that, or something that is humanly uh, even possible. It depends who's the consumer. It could be a machine, could be a human. So, um, for example, rate limiting is something where if you just say, I allow you to send 100 requests per second or minute, this is not sufficient anymore for GraphQL because I could now send you a huge query that uh, completely DDoSes your uh, API, the, your, your server. Uh, we have talked to customers who uh, were literally the, the, the API partners, people who want to query their data, they completely took down their backend with one query. And that is still, that is possible, right? Like with, with GraphQL, you need to be very careful. You should have pagination limits and so on. But like 
designing a good API in that sense is a lot of work. It's very powerful, right? That's why we do it. We want to give the, the front-end developers and, and app developers the power, but making that um, in a way that you don't shoot yourself in the foot is, is actually uh, not trivial. And there are not yet too many best practices established and so on. So we see that is really a big need in the graphical ecosystem. There are many more unsolved problems. And so we have heard more and more about this from our customers. And, and when we talked to them, it turned out that many of them actually have two use cases. They want to use the API internally for their own app, but they also want to expose it to the world to, for other people to be used. And it turns out that in order to do that, it's actually not that easy right now with GraphQL. And the reason is that, um, again, this is one, one problem, but there's like, it's a big problem space that we're also still exploring, actually. And so that's why we said, whoa, imagine we make it easier for um, anyone to expose their GraphQL API. That is quite powerful and uh, would actually enable a lot of network effects. There's this memo from Jeff Bezos from 2002 uh, where he told uh, all his employees, okay, if you build a new project that doesn't expose an API, you're fired. And uh, so that's how he implemented this, uh, the, the API mandate back then. It's an iconic memo. I highly recommend uh, Googling it, reading it. So he realized back in the days that um, th this incredible business potential, right? And that is something that, in my view, still many business leaders don't necessarily focus on or understand. And one reason might also be that you don't know the specific um, use case, how people might use your API. That doesn't mean that they can't or that there wouldn't be a good use case. Like if we think about the App Store, Steve Jobs probably didn't know in the beginning how people would use it, but he knew it's a powerful technology. And so that's why we said this is something that we want to focus on. But now, how about we go a step further? And the step would be actually connecting a bunch of these APIs. Again, we're talking about GraphQL, so you have relations between data. And so that's why we want to connect the world's data. And um, yeah, and that's, that's the new vision. I think what, how I would summarize all of this is that there's sort of this dichotomy in GraphQL where you want the flexibility of GraphQL because that gives you a lot of power. Right? As developers, you can go in and you can request the exact data that you need. It's just exactly what you asked for, which is incredibly nice to work with. And you can traverse these relations, you can traverse the entire graph of your data. But then that flexibility comes with the trade-off of now you have a really flexible API. And so if you just open that up to the world, if you expose it, then people can just send whatever queries they want. They can request whatever data they want. And often your backends aren't prepared to handle that. And there, there's lots of novel attack vectors in the way that GraphQL works with aliases and um, deeply nested queries and whatever you want that just could really mess up your backend and cause you to send millions of database reads to your database. And so I think if I were to summarize everything you just said, it's like there's a, that dichotomy in the flexibility of GraphQL. And we realize that there's a lot of tooling we can build to help people and help companies open up their APIs to the world. And I think once you're in that world where Imagine every piece of data is opened up to the world as a graph API. Every single company has a single graph of all of their data, which is, of course, a utopia and it's never going to happen. But if you're in that world, then it's almost a little bit ridiculous that all of those APIs aren't connected because you have all of these individual nodes and graphs that 
are completely separate, but the data is related, right? The user that signs up to your service, it's the same user as you have in Stripe, it's the same user as you have in Salesforce, it's the same user as you have in Intercom, right? All of this data, or most of it, is related somehow to other data. Most of it is related to other pieces of information that live in other APIs. And so we've been thinking about this idea of the global data graph. What if we just connected all of the world's APIs? And that's where we want to go. And if you think about that vision of connecting the world's data, then GraphCDN becomes a little bit too limiting of a name. And that's really where that whole conversation of renaming the company kicked off. It was really a matter of, we have this big idea, but if we're called GraphCDN, then we kind of have to keep building GraphQL CDN features, which some of which we still need, right? Like in order to enable people to open up the GraphQL APIs, we are going to build a GraphQL CDN that's always going to be a part of our product stack, but it's not going to be the only thing we do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, there are two things I also want to add here, which is one is like we learned a lot about naming and I think we can go into that, <laughs> like a lot of advantages and disadvantages about certain names and how to think about it because it is a science and an art at the same time. I would even say more art than science. The other thing is that um, what we also observed is that Originally, GraphQL might not even have been designed to be exposed uh, for, for different API consumers uh, within, to be fair, within Facebook, it has been designed within a like monolithic architecture where um, um, basically, let's say 90% of the problems that you have like in the, in the web development, they were already solved. So it was like, this is like the API layer, but data access, trivial. Uh, how to store the data, permissions, and all of this stuff around it, right? They had that in place. Uh, many people who start today, they don't. I think there's also shift happening how people use GraphQL. We see services like Hasura, also GraphQL back in the days, which were directly exposing a um, GraphQL interface or PostgreSQL GraphQL interface based on a database. And uh, actually, those patterns work better than I think some people might have uh, imagined. And there are a lot of like changes happening right now where GraphQL gets more um, accessible. And I think that also one of those points is actually making it accessible for other people. That is not necessarily how GraphQL has been designed uh, initially, which doesn't mean that you can't, and it doesn't also mean that it's not a good idea. Right? And, and now, as we're already using GraphQL as the API interface, um, I think it's a, really, it's a really powerful idea to think about. And then, yeah, about the, the naming. <sighs> It's, it's a huge topic. We could probably talk <laughs> about it for hours. But yeah, do we, maybe we, I can just like start a bit how we thought about that in the beginning and like how our journey has been to, to actually arrive at Stellate that took a while. Even again, Max Clausen, one of our pre-seed investors, even mentioned quite early that uh, he recommends renaming. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I don't know when it was, but he said it quite early. I think it was like maybe a year ago already. And we were like, yeah, yeah, uh, we will be, we, we, we even said we want to keep the name because it has a big advantage. It says what the product does. It's a what name, graph CDN. It has advantages because people will immediately uh, understand it like that. And like a one sentence explanation, you immediately know what we do. The GraphQL CDN makes sense. Many people actually called, uh, called us um, GraphQL CDN. Uh, because the, the, the two are so similar. And the advantage is really you don't need to do a lot of marketing around what does it mean if we would call ourselves, I don't know, some, some random word that, is, that doesn't exist. 
Standard actually, by the way, is a word that exists in the in the dictionary. You just need to do more work to explain it, right? But you have like the the clean slate. You can just uh, you have the white canvas and you can put in the messaging you want. And so there are advantages, disadvantages. For the CDN name, uh, one thing is that people have a very um, specific preconception what a CDN is and what it does. And usually, traditionally, a CDN, and that was actually the most explanation we needed to do, it's like take people from where they are at, at okay, CDN, static, static stuff, caching it at the edge, and where, where we are at. And what we did over, over the months is moving more and more away from just CDN. We introduced analytics, we are now introducing like breaking changes detection, those kind of things. And that doesn't really have anything to do with a content delivery network. And then I was actually checking how, how does, for example, Akamai call themselves, right? Like the, the biggest CDN, they still have the biggest market share, although there are other CDN companies uh, a lot in the media. Akamai is still the biggest, actually. And they, uh, if, you, if you look in their Wikipedia article, it's not like uh, they, they are a CDN and th those are their products. They say Akamai is a huge technology company. Part of it is a CDN. They also have security. They have these other things, right? So it's not even necessarily anymore um, that you say CDN is like the um, bigger category and we have smaller things underneath. It's really CDN is one of the things. And that's where I also realized, okay, the name might be a bit misleading. And also, again, we have a whole new situation with GraphQL. It needs quite different tooling, actually, if you really do it uh, in a GraphQL native way that it like, really fits it. And there, the name was just a bit too, uh, too narrow, too... Uh, limiting. So I think that in the beginning that helped us a lot because people immediately got okay, that's the thing. And now and 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 also we knew that we don't just want to introduce a new name for sake of having a new new name. Uh, there needs to be a reason, and that's why we uh, took our time and and did more research and saw. Like in the in the last couple of months, we actually thought a lot about. What other direction do we want to go into or what how can we expand from here and that's also the beautiful message that i want to get across here we're not pivoting we're extending the vision that's really important so the edge caching stays that's like still important and we want to grow that out it's just um, the edge caching is uh, one one problem you know and um, we believe that the problem needs to be solved as a whole there's a lot of fragmented tooling in the ecosystem and some, some tooling works better together, some less. We believe that the whole GraphQL experience still has a lot of potential. That's why we're also investing in like community meetups now and uh, building out the, the new graphical. In case you don't know, I created actually the GraphQL Playground back in the days, um, but didn't work on it since, since I, I left Prisma. And now we want to like... So the, the graphical playground got merged into graphical and now we want to build like the new graphical, which is like playground level 9000. So it will be really awesome. And we just believe that there is still a lot of work that will make GraphQL successful, uh, that is necessary to make GraphQL successful. And if we actually think about it, what made GraphQL success successful, I think it is to a big part the tooling, the tooling that did the right job, right? Without graphical, not sure if GraphQL would have succeeded like this. The fact that people, why, why is GraphQL so important? Because you get like this quick feedback. Like I, I try something out and I immediately get feedback and like that I can immediately like understand the thing. It's like the, the quickest way to understand GraphQL is actually trying it out, not just reading 
bunch of articles, which is also great, but literally trying it out and you will immediately get, ah, that's the connection. If I write this query, that's the response. Like this connection you first need to establish, right? If you have never seen it, how should you know? But if you just write a bunch of queries, you will suddenly see. Anyway, I'm going, going back from, uh, from that route, I think, yeah, we just realized there's a lot that needs to happen and that then the, the GraphCDN name was, was just too limiting. Absolutely. I think the, the thing I appreciate about our team is that we have a really high bar for developer experience. And every single time I remember Tim last week had to deploy a GraphQL API, like a, a random little GraphQL API that returned data about cities, I think. And after one and a half hour, we went for lunch and Tim was ranting for like 15 minutes about how difficult it was to deploy this very simple Node.js GraphQL API that wasn't even backed by any database or anything. It was just a little bit of code to return something as GraphQL. And so I think, to me, it's very obvious that the developer experience of getting things out into the world is way too bad. It could be so much better. And the part that we're taking there that we're probably going to tackle is making GraphQL and building GraphQL APIs much nicer as a full stack experience. And that's just a part of making sure that every piece of data is exposed as an open GraphQL API, right? Going back to the earlier point, the more open graphical APIs there are, the bigger eventually the global data graph is going to be. And so it's, it's on us as a company to make sure that graphical is in a place where it's absolutely the right tool for the job and it works really well for the purposes that people want to use it for. To go back to the naming point, so we, we have this what name with GraphCDN, which very specifically tells people what we do. Even at the beginning, it was already like a little bit limited because CDNs are generally associated with static content and GraphQL is very dynamic, and so people didn't even realize that you could cache GraphQL in a CDN. And now we're going to be called Stellate. How did we go from GraphCDN to Stellate? Where did that name come from? Yeah, so um, as many things, we took it actually quite methodically. Um, <laughs> so we didn't all get high and have that uh, epiphany. So what we did in this case was actually work with a naming agency, a really fantastic agency called 100 Monkeys, who came up with names like Okta or Waymo. So they really did some big names out there. SF-based um, agency, really awesome people. And so what they're doing, they have quite a systematic approach. They, like, they, have, this, they have really interesting process. Like when I saw their process, I was like, okay, they're, they're professionals, they know what they're doing. They first have this intake process. So what they do, they work with up to, I think, three design partners, basically, from the company that they like, that decide and like, say what they want. Like they realize you cannot work with a group of 10, 20 people at the same time. There will be too many different opinions. And, and feelings about the name. You won't be able to find a name that everyone loves. That's just not possible. Uh, and the initial reaction for quite a few renamings recently in the ecosystem uh, not necessarily has been that positive, but now the name is like the name around, right? I remember some, some reactions around the renaming from um, uh, Zeit to Vassell. Some people were like, oh, what is this? But now it's like the name, right? Like everyone knows what it is. Like the, they have a strong brand around. Anyway, so they, t they have this intake process and they first want to understand what's important. So they have like a few points and they say only choose a few or only two. Uh, you cannot always have everything. For example, having the .com. These days, if you don't make up some crazy uh, uh, soup of words or like letters, it's nearly impossible to, to get the .com. 
The trademark situation obviously needs to be clean, but uh, do you, how clean should it be? No trademark at all or just trademarks in different categories. And so there are just a, diff a few different uh, things that people are looking for and you have to choose a few. What was interesting, which I learned from the 100 Monkeys, is that these days the .com, like having a strong brand versus having a .com, uh, the strong brand, in the opinion of the 100 Monkeys, is more important. People will Google you anyway, and so then doesn't make too much a difference. .com is still awesome, and everyone wants the .com, no question. So yeah, so we first have this intake process, and then they just go wild. They use analogies from biology, from architecture, from whatever. They maybe make up some words, but also some words that are very rare in the English language. Actually, the English, English language has a lot of words. Uh, I think five times as many as the German language, like over 100,000 or something. And so then uh, in that uh, phase, you, you give them like a bit of feedback. Like they, they, they come with this list back, like a list of 10 names and um, or even even more. It's like depends how much they research and you, you, you give the feedback, you, you work with them on that. And so again, they, they have a second round and with that feedback, and the feedback is actually what's quite important here is the feedback is individual. It's not with the, um, with the group anymore that, that you had initially for the intake, but it's really individual because otherwise you would bias each other too much. Um, if there's like a strong voice in the room, maybe someone who feels something, they might not say it or they get in, influenced. So really raw, you get the name without knowing what the other people think, which I think makes a lot of sense, which is something we can learn from uh, in many other uh, aspects. Like if we have meetings and want to do brainstormings, just doing that first, like in a more individual uh, manner. And so then we have another uh, another uh, iteration. And so in we basically with that, we had over like 20 names, I think. And there were many aspects to it. Like, is this name something like, I think, to be honest, the, the one of the most important points was really, was it, what is our first uh, association with it? Is it a good association with the name? And there were a lot of exciting names out there, but Actually, Stellate now is a short name, Stellate, two syllables, uh, and it has this association with Stella, the stars. It's something very modern. That's like the kind of association people usually get, and that's that's a positive thing. That's that's what we want. We are building a new company. It's a it's a new it's a new thing. It's something something uh, innovative that is changing changing also the world, that's, that's our goal. So I think in that sense, it fits really well. It was funny because we had this list of five names. I, I kind of felt the whole time that, yeah, Stellar, that's a thing. And it, we just, nah that, nah, that name I don't feel so good about, bam, bam, bam. That was the last name really left. And we didn't know actually what we would do if we wouldn't be able to get, uh, like register a trademark or something. That would be, whoa, like if, or if there's like a trademark already registered in our industry. Uh, we didn't even know what to do then because this was just the name like yes this feels really good this is the name that everyone wanted and then we chose it i think something that was also really important throughout this whole process is that we realized pretty early on that we want sort of an empty vessel name we very specifically went for a name that doesn't have a lot of meaning associated with it stellate is the word that means star shaped it means something in the form of a star which is a nice connotation and kind of if you think about the global data graph, every node in the graph sort of looks like a star, right? You feel all of these edges going out. But that was the extent of the connection to 
the specific things we do. It was meant as a name that we could fill with our brand, that we could fill with our ideas, that we could fill with ourselves, rather than a name that told us what to do. We could tell the name what to do is, I think, the big difference. And I think that's very similar to what many companies do. There's many options of how you could go about this. There's, there's companies that call themselves, you know, like Green Frog, for example, that choose two, two word names. There's very specific names like Big Ass Fans. There's all kinds of names out there. And we really wanted one that was an empty vessel that we could fill with our meaning that was short and you could just say it and, and it was there. And so that's how we, why we liked Sellate so much. It had a positive connotation. It had nice meaning that sort of tied into what we were trying to do with this star-shaped idea. It sounded great and it was short and sweet and one word and just Sellate, you know, you, you got it. That was really important to us. And I think something that I personally didn't realize before we went on this whole renaming journey with, with the 100 Monkeys, I had no idea that there was such a thing as an empty vessel name. I had, I had no idea that people could choose so many different categories of names. And I think that's been really fascinating. And I'm also very happy with that we landed on Stilly. It's a fantastic name. Yeah, agreed. And I, there was even another concept um, that I have to borrow from Chess here that I uh, can apply to, to names, which is um, there can be a name where you immediately like get the punchline with a name. Uh, there can also be a name where you don't know, like, okay, cool. Uh, and it's like one more step, but then you're like, oh. And so you can choose, right? It's not that one is wrong or the other is right. But I think we had this tendency to have a bit more name where it's a bit more whole. Like a, and what I uh, uh, said with chess there is like one is like uh, checkmate in one. You can see it. Ah, yeah, that's the uh, move. Or checkmate in two or three. When it's like a few more steps. Um, to see like how what what is the punchline what's what's the point, and I think that's the nice thing. We I think also they have a good balance actually. Yeah, I love that idea. Tim, if, for all of you listening, is a big chess fan, and so you'll you'll often hear him speak in chess analogies. I'm very used to it now. Um, if you if you ever speak with him, he has a great blog post actually on his blog about smothered mates and how that ties into startup land that, that I would really recommend you check out. Um, I would love to also talk a little bit more about the practical processes of, of renaming. So we settled on this name Stellate. How did we go from actually settling on the name Stellate to it now being live? What were the steps along the way that we had to walk through? Yeah, so when it comes to trademarks, when it comes to potential trademark infringement, the company name is completely irrelevant. So I could, not sure if we could call our company Apple, but you know, you basically can call your company whatever you want as long as it's not taken in that state. What really matters is how you call your product. That's the point where you need a trademark uh, support. So you could theoretically just keep your old company name uh, if you wanted to, so it doesn't really matter too much, but the, the product is actually the, the point where you would then infringe potentially um, some, some trademarks. So what you have to do in the beginning, also 100 monkeys, they do like a pre preliminary test of and a check, like what, how does the trademark situation look like? And so we work with trademark lawyers then afterwards to really do like a deep dive, like a full full search. And what you do, there are a bunch of registrars where you can uh, search for for certain trademarks. And trademarks are usually defined for certain parts of the industry. You don't want to define the, the trademark on everything. That doesn't work. You need to have a certain narrow scope. Um, the same with a patent. You cannot just patent breathing or something. That doesn't work. Uh, although sometimes patents are a bit broader than they should be. 
But anyway, uh, so you you need to figure that out, and I think that's the most important part. The domains for sure, right? They're just getting uh, all the domains, and I think we just uh, we currently have our renaming like. The, the the renaming is there. There are just so so many things you need to look at, right? Uh, for example, all the content everywhere where the company is mentioned, all of these things. But I think that the the basis is really figuring out the trademark situation. Once that is solid, you know, like okay, I can do this. Which is funny because many startups they just choose a name and create a website, and that's their product. They don't do a trademark search for side project or something. Uh, which I was just realizing, we didn't do this for GraphCDN. Uh, we just Googled it, didn't exist. Okay, sounds good. And yeah, in this stage now, as the company is further ahead, I think it just makes a lot of sense to get it safe because you don't want to switch around again and want to obviously make that transition as smooth as possible. And also what that means for the product is that all old domains, everything will still work, obviously, forever. If you have like an app domain or something, all of that stuff will still work. Uh, forever it's just that uh, both domains will just work in parallel from now on so obviously everything has to be compatible uh, making sure that all the redirects are properly defined and so on yeah i think there's a lot of like minute detailed tasks that we're gonna have to do uh like the docs are on a separate subdomain all of these subdomains we're gonna move them around our email setup our google authentication like, there's a bunch of like minute tasks to moving the name but the most important part really is making sure that you can get the trademark and that you can get the domains that you'd like so that people can find you and people can visit you and the social media handles if you can. I'm curious to see what we're going to miss because we have this long list internally of like 100 things we have to update with a new name. I'm sure we're going to miss some things. I'm sure half a year from now somebody's going to go, uh, you still have the wrong company name there and we'll be like, oh damn it, we totally forgot about that. I, I can already see that happening. To, to summarize what we just talked about, we are going to unlock the world's data by building the global data graph. We're going to try and connect all of the world's open graphical APIs into the global data graph. And our first step towards that vision is we want to make open graphical APIs ubiquitous. We want to make it much simpler to expose your graphical API to the world so that others can integrate with you. And there's a lot of tooling that we need to build to make that happen. And as part of that, we realized that the name GraphCDN was a very what specific name. It was very specific to what we were doing at the time, the edge caching, which we're still gonna do, but it's just gonna be a part of what we do, not everything we're gonna do. And so we went on this journey with a naming agency and figuring out how do we wanna call this company? And we ended up choosing the name Stellate, which is an empty vessel and doesn't have any specific connection to what we do, except for the fact that it means star shaped and the graph is has star-shaped nodes, which is kind of nice. But other than that, it's just a name that we can fill with our own brand, which we're very excited about. I can't wait to get rid of this sweater, actually. It still says GraphCDN on it. I have to like tape something over it, re replace it with Stellate, and that is our new company name. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Anything else you wanted to mention? No, oh, I think just come join us to build the global data graph. <laughs> Perfect, there you go. Well, we're hiring. Um, so head to stellate.co slash careers to check out the open roles we're hiring across all of our departments. We announced, we also announced as part of this rename that we've raised a $25 million Series A and a $5 million seed round. Um, and we're going to be expanding across every department and trying to build this global data graph. We're going to be hiring everything. So if you are excited about uh, working on the global data graph on, in the graphical ecosystem, Come hit us up. Uh, we're, we're hiring across all departments. Check out our careers page. 
thank you, Tim, for joining me. Thank you for taking the time and walking us through this whole renaming journey from Graph City and Testellate. I'm excited for you all to finally see the new name, and I will see you in the next episode of the Future Founder Promise podcast. Bye. Bye.